0: Hello there. Welcome to this King Heroes Journey podcast. My name is Beth Martins and I have the huge pleasure of being here with Winnipeg's own Ian Stryker today. And I uh, have dubbed him advisor to the visionaries. <laughs> and uh, let me just stop the double <laughs> It's always something there. So if you are new to this podcast, I'll let you know that this is a place where I highlight the Uh, the opinions, the work, and the journey of the King heroes who often cannot sit back and just watch things happen. They need to get involved. They have their own strong opinions and positions on things that are going on. Often they are outspoken with an unpopular voice. And Ian and I met uh, through uh, uh, another king hero. So I, I definitely consider Stefan Arneo to be a king hero. And we had a chance to, uh, you know, just brush company at the beginning. And then we, we had a, a, a very interesting conversation at an event called The Conversation. <laughs> Uh, and then you picked up my book and we had a wonderful tea. And so I've had the pleasure of getting to know you. And then both of us have uh, have gone through the loss. So if, if you're not uh, aware, then Stefan Arneo passed away. When was it now, Ian? In May?
1: Um, I'm getting double voice on my end here.
0: Hold on just a second. I'm so sorry. I'm having a little blip here. All right. Can you hear me now, Ian?
1: I can hear you fine, but I can hear your voice again from what you were saying before.
0: Okay, I'm sorry. I just, uh, I think I just put an end to that. How is it now?
1: There you go. Whew. I was trying to listen to you the whole time and wait. Now I'm here myself.
0: Do you have a browser?
1: Before.
0: Really? Do you have a browser on with the, you might have to just pause the. I did have another
1: browser. Okay. So we
0: we had three of them going at one time there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that was interesting. I was listening to you over top of yourself and it was a bit difficult.
0: Yes, exactly. Exactly. So shall I start again, you guys? Is it, was that all jumbled and, and mumbled? So uh, if you're new to the King Hero's journey, I'll just say this for your benefit, that this is a place where I highlight strong men who take risks, who put themselves out there, uh, often in business, often in in the form of a movement. They have strong messages and they're not willing to just sit back and uh, keep it to themselves. So they aren't always the most popular in, in their uh, world. But it, what I notice is that because of that, Bravery and the risk that they take, they gather their own strong tribe. So, Ian, I had the pleasure of uh meeting. We live in the same city, so he's here in Winnipeg, Manitoba. We met through Stefan Arnio, who was a mentor to me. He was also a client of mine, and Ian worked with him. So Ian is an advisor to visionaries, to the kings. He makes their life easier. He frees them up. I might be knocking on your door, Ian, <laughs> for some help. Because, yeah, that would be nice that, um, you know, when you have the vision of a king, you very quickly grow out of being able to do all of the things that would make your vision run. And that's just a fact. So when that squeezes on, somebody like Ian steps in and uh, takes over, you know, what's what's called operations, if you're not familiar with that. So Ian, do you want to just take a few minutes to describe a little bit about yourself, who you are, introduce yourself?
1: Totally. And I I love what you're saying there about the the kings and being stuck with the vision and being stuck with what they do. And that's what I find a lot in visionary people, people that want to accomplish a lot. And they have all these ideas that can change the world and change people's lives. But what happens is they can't find a way to repeat themselves. They look for people that are visionary like themselves. They don't understand why people can't take action on their vision and understand their vision and do it. Um, and they end up being the employee because nobody's good enough to do it. Nobody can act on it. Nobody can follow through with their vision. Um, and that, that's largely where I come in is helping, the, again, the operation side of things. So make it a systematized way to take your vision and grow it and make it an actionable process. So it's not just in your head, it's written down and we can build upon it. Um, Mm -hmm. For my background, I mean, I I started off working on a goat farm, was born and raised on a goat farm, actually in Ontario, Mm -hmm. and spent most of my life, I mean, I'm not that old, so most of my life uh, milking goats. And um, Mm -hmm. I was never really an exceptional person. I I know one of the questions you have uh, coming up a little bit earlier, you showed me some of your questions you wanted to ask is about wanting to become an entrepreneur. When was that point you wanted to become an entrepreneur? Honestly, I've never wanted to be an entrepreneur. When I was a kid, like that was the one thing i heard about entrepreneurship. I'm like, that is not me. I looked at all the visionary people, looked at all what they did, the Tony Robbins, the Grant Cardone. I mean, I didn't know those guys at the time, but you look at all those visionary people that accomplished so much and put some, so much of themselves out there. And I'm very introverted. I'm just not into that kind of thing. So for me, I'm like a, a CS type person where I like stability, I like predictability, I like think no one's going to happen next. So growing up, I I was happy looking to become an architect. Was going to go to university, become an architect. Uh, went through high school, got good grades. Was never an excelling student, never a failing student. Just very average. Just did what I need to do. Worked part time uh, while I went through school. Then. Finished high school, didn't get into the university that I wanted, so I decided to buy a house instead, which was the cusp of my, the beginning of my story, I would say, because that's when I decided to buy a house, learn a bit about construction, flip the house by myself, bought it with my own money, my own two hands, did all the work. I was a disaster. It took me a year to do this renovations of this place, and I had every problem there was imaginable. Um Just because I didn't know what I was doing. I ripped apart the house down to the studs and put in insulation, redid all the windows and plumbing and electrical, did every last thing that needed to be done. And even when it wasn't necessary, I just did it because I thought it would be necessary at the time. But uh, I finished that and realized if I did that, did five more properties, I figured I could do five more properties over the next 10 years. If I did that, I could get out of the rat race. I could do whatever I wanted. I could be an architect if I wanted whatever job I wanted to do. I just have passive income. Um, And I started looking into different ways to go about that. I learned about joint ventures and raising capital. I figured if I could find somebody to teach me how to raise capital and take my business or just my real estate, just doing a couple more deals, I could probably do five deals in five years. I figured I could cut the time in half. So I looked Mm -hmm. around and ended up finding Stefan Arneal, it was uh, quite the experience. I randomly found him on YouTube, watched a 30-minute video, then called him up. I was like, hey, man, I want to. I want your coaching. I want to do the program. And just at that time, I had refinanced that house and pulled out 30 grand. And I gave 100% of that money to him wow. and said, I trust you, man. Let's do this. Okay. And went for it. Within six months, I did five deals. So my 10 years turned into six months. And then I was a believer from there on. Mm-hmm, so I continued mm-hmm. working with Stefan. And after being with the company for a year, um, I came back to do another program, their larger package, become a platinum member, they call it. And Stefan, the first thing he told me, that's when he really started working with me. Before I was working with another coach, at this time, I started working one-on-one with the man, the myth, the legend, Stefan <laughs> Um And the first thing he told me was, you need a sales job. You just need to go learn the skills. Just Mm -hmm. You don't need to do anything special. Just learn the basic skills and get good at it. And Hmm. did a little bit of conversations with him. Ended up deciding that, uh, well, convinced him to let me come to Winnipeg and work for him. Hmm. So he told me if I dropped everything and I came out there and started working, I could have the job. Dropped everything. A week later, I was moved in Winnipeg. Came right to (laughs) Winnipeg. So it, it was an interesting experience getting to know him. And a lot of our conversations from there on in went about how do we build this business? How do we do sales and real estate kept doing real estate for a while until I eventually just focused strictly on the company. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked with him for six months as a sales, a uh, sales agent. They call it a lead strategist. After six months, he made me the sales manager. Six months after that, he made me the COO of the company just building out the different departments that started in sales, building all that out, working in the administration, started working in accounting um, and really started to work in the ways of taking what was in his head and implementing into the business, organizing it all, making it so it was repeatable. And six months after that, he made me, pretty much made me the CEO of the company because he went on his water fast and he started getting sick at that point. Uh, really sick at that point. So he relied on me to run the company for him. and uh, six months after that he passed away.
0: right, right. and i would I would love to talk more about him. I, I do want to take a moment and just uh, shout out to the the chat uh, to Kelly FE and Sufinelli and Jay Armstrong and Von Etch and zero infinity and and some more that are there. Thank you so much for joining. Sorry for the uh, the strange noises at the beginning. <laughs> so, what struggles do you feel like you had to overcome in order to now Now you're you know, you you went through that that precipice. That's an incredibly risky thing to do, by the way, to invest thirty thousand dollars on someone you just had a conversation with. But you were obviously inspired by his 30 minute video. Yeah. Um, is there do you feel like there's things you've had to go through in your life to get to that point of of being able to take a risk like that?
1: Yes, yes, I would say there is um, a particular moment where I gave myself up to the opportunity and really gave myself up to faith and just believing that the right things are happening. And I really, at that moment, it was really just a gut feeling of just knowing, like, this is I'm gonna go work with this guy. I went out to my mm-hmm. parents right after that and said to them, like, Hey, I'm working with this guy. Check him out. I'm gonna go hire him as a coach this is as much as it cost. They're like, Where are you gonna get that money? Do you really know what you're doing? Like, what's going on? I just said. This is is right for me. I'm going to do it. And we're going to see what happens. Just went with complete Mm -hmm. blind faith, pretty much.
0: Mm -hmm. And how do you think you've learned that blind faith? Is it something you just have always experienced or or did you get there somehow? I'm always a fan of showing how people got there.
1: Yeah. Uh, A lot of it would have to do with, I would say, the way I was raised. Uh, My mom has always been like that and always been the spiritual guider for me. And helping me realize that ha- things happen for a reason and got to believe in your gut and just follow through with what to, you believe is right to happen. I did have a moment. Two weeks, I would say two or three weeks before I ended up signing up for coaching, which actually led me on that path. And that was a moment I was in the middle of renovating my house. We're finishing off the renovations for my house. And I was going through a major depression for myself. I had been depressed for several months, I had suicidal thoughts and I was just not having that fun of a time. And that was the only time in my life that was really went that dark. Um, and it's a moment that I'll keep for myself from ever going back to just because of, it. but it was a very powerful moment because I sat there um, in my bedroom. I was alone in my house. It's this is how uh, this renovated house that I was like half done and trying to pull money out of. And, um, I'd been hurting myself too. nothing major just like little scratches that I had on my arm. but I realized in that moment that like my mind went clear and I was just sitting there trying to understand like what was happening, why am I living my life like this and what's going on and what's the purpose of all this? And again, having those thoughts of like why am I alive? what am I doing this for? Mm-hmm. And I realized in my head there was an actual connection of understanding that if I continue like this, I will not be alive past my, um, my next birthday, which was like six months away. And mm-hmm. there had been those thoughts before, of, you know, having suicidal thoughts and just, it's an easy way out. It's like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. It's an easy way out. So that was mm-hmm. the first moment that I actually had where I realized the gravity, the effect of that thought and that decision, if I ever went that way. So I took a moment and that's a, a moment I gave myself to God, to a higher power, to the ultimate, you know, the energy in the world. I didn't know what it was at that time, but I just knew that in that moment, um, I had, I was wrong. I had given up. I had pretty much killed myself in that moment. I said, I'm done. I even said it out loud. I'm, I give myself up because I obviously don't know what I'm doing. If I continue doing what I believe is right, what my ego, what my emotions are guiding me to, I'm going to die. Like, that's all there is to it. So I gave myself up in that moment. I said, I give myself up to whatever it is to God and um, take me as I am and guide me to where I need to be. I will do whatever needs to be done. I'm going to do whatever successful people do. Happy people do. I'm going to give myself one year. I only gave myself one year. I said, I have one year to figure this out. I'm going to have one year to do whatever successful people do. doesn't matter what I think, how I feel or anything like that. I'm just going to do what they do. And if it, doesn't work out after a year, then by all means, life wasn't worth living. But at least it's one more chance, one last hurrah. <clears throat> and that was my giving moment of this is what I'm going to do. And a week later, I found Ariel
0: mm. Wow, that's great. I'm so glad I asked you that question. <laughs> yeah. And I don't mean great that you suffered that way. But of course, great that you got yourself to the other side of it and it's inevitable, right? Any, any benevolent King hero out there turns to God or however they want to talk about that or language it as a kind of authority and certainly a guide, right? Because yep. you can't, you can't follow people. You can't, uh, I, these days I'm big on talking about trust and, and uh, you know, my son has two parents on, on very different sides of the the pandemic that we'll talk about a little bit later. But uh, so he's got this really, you know, these two worlds don't actually meet. And he said to me one day, um, I don't trust anything anymore. I don't trust what you tell me. I don't trust what my dad tells me. And it's like, yes, yes. Right. I gave him something. It's so perfect. Right. Because as soon as you've invested your trust in a parent or an institution or a government or a politician or a doctor, then you're actually lost to true guidance.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you're giving up control of the outcome, too. You're just relying on the other person to make the best decisions for you. Mm -hmm. And 100 percent of the time, everyone's invested in themselves, not in you.
0: Mm-hmm. So you got give it.
1: Gives them the control.
0: That's the then, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I, I always uh, joke about am I joking about it? Making making fun of the New Age movement that says to give up control. It's like no, you can't give up control. You you got that stuff. That's that's called your free will. You do pretty much what you feel to do, and then everybody's got that same chance.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and then there's this whole the whole movement behind that too of um, just taking it. Instead of earning it and working for it and um, earning what you have and making something of yourself, they just that's something we hear a lot of in today's in the news and stuff like that. I try to avoid that stuff and looking at it. But mm-hmm. it's, it's hard not to see people saying like what's loot, what's steal, let's take because let's make everyone's life everyone else's life harder because my life is too hard. Instead of working to make their self better and taking control of what they have. What they're doing is forcing it upon other people and relying on other people and giving up that control. They expect their life to get better because of it.
0: Mm-hmm. And it doesn't. No. <laughs> no, exactly. They just drag people down. That's a very great point to make. Do you have a sense of how your life and your career up until this point has been part of your sacred purpose? Because That was your deep soul searching at that moment in your life. Do you feel like you're working in your purpose?
1: Yeah, that was uh, an interesting thing coming up to this point in time I'm at right now because a, a big struggle for mine was the past past eight months or so when I became that CEO and I was acting as a CEO or the president of the company. I made those major decisions and I was given, up, given that power and the opportunity to run a multi-million dollar company, make the decisions and guide the people, uh, be the visionary person. And it was, there was a lot of ego involved with that of getting excited about going into that and having that next level and being a young guy and just having such an opportunity to take on the world. Um, but what happened was Stefan passed away and the last little bits of everything he was doing came onto my shoulders. Also, I had to deal with his will. I had to deal with the company. I had to deal with the people, make the decisions. And that's not something that really fits into who I am. Like I I mentioned earlier, I'm not the visionary guy. I never wanted to be the entrepreneur. I'm the introvert that likes being in the background. And heck, I spend all day on my laptop at home by myself. And I do self development like crazy because all I think I'm very introverted and learning about myself. Um, So that was an experience in learning all that. And as soon as he passed away, we started actually having a few issues within the company just because major decisions need to be made. And I wasn't the guy to make them. I didn't know the best way to do it or the right way to do it. So I had to take some time off of work and take a week off and um, do some soul searching in that moment and realize that that isn't my position. There's better people suited for that role, better people suited for doing that. I need to take a step back, put it all on the line even and say, this isn't me. This isn't my passion, my vision, what I need to accomplish in this world. I can run this company. I know I can do it, but I know it's not going to be fulfilling. So I had to take a moment to reevaluate that, take a step back and start looking for other roads to go down, which is something that I have done. I've, I've started working with um, other companies and building out the operational side to make their companies expandable so they can jump into other avenues. And that visionary can be freed from being that employee and they can change the lives of many. I may not be able to change the lives of hundreds and thousands of people like going on front of the stage with Tony, like Tony Robbins does, but what I can do is I can find a guy like him. I can find a guy like Stefan Arneal, and I have found guys like them and free them to build their vision, build their companies, which helps multiple people beyond that.
0: Mm -hmm. Excellent. That's beautiful. I come from the marketing communication world and we were always behind the scenes. We were never the rock stars out in front. We were the ones helping those rock stars be even more in front than they were. So I totally know that role. And I love that role too. It's actually, uh, according to archetypes, it's an alchemist role, right? It's the alchemist that supports and advises the king. And yep. uh, so it's a magical position, and and you have to contend with power in a different way than than the king hero does. The other thing I want to talk about you said you said twice now that you never wanted this. Uh, I I was the same that uh, I I didn't want to uh, own a business, but I wasn't going to get a job after I survived cancer. Yeah, like, it's just not going to happen. I, I don't yeah. have that bone in my body. I'm unemployable. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I get right? that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and most King heroes, they go reluctantly. Uh, I, I'll, I'll just, you know, everybody on their hero's journey, they go reluctantly because God is asking you to do something outrageous and you probably don't even know what it is.
1: Yeah. Well, so, I, I think the other it, problem is uh, people have a false vision of what it is and being an entrepreneur is. I remember being a kid and again, being an entrepreneur for me was give up everything become a CEO, manage a bunch of people, become a president, just run all the ideas and create ideas and build ideas and create product and sell those products. And again, as an introvert, sales is not that exciting. Marketing is not that exciting. Public mm-hmm. speaking is not that exciting. Mm-hmm. And those are the, these those are the entrepreneurs that we see. We see the people that end up on social media, the people that love doing that stuff, but that's not all entrepreneurs. Uh, I heard mm-hmm. on, I think it was actually Tony Robbins I was listening to the other day. That's why I keep talking about him Mm because I listened to some of his stuff recently. He was saying that 2% of entrepreneurs are those visionary, those very artistic people um, that actually live out life that way. 98% of entrepreneurs and successful entrepreneurs are introverts, people that just know how to develop themselves and develop what they're doing and build out companies and build out things without being the center of attention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Exactly. There's just many ways to approach it. There's it, yeah. someone, someone out there, I don't know who it is, but they niche for people who uh, specifically entrepreneurial um, uh, introverted entrepreneurs. So that if you don't have that personality, uh, like I don't have personally, I don't have any celebrity in me. I used to think I did. And I came, <laughs> I came to a place of, feeling or realizing because you can do the same thing, but from a different motivation, right? I do this more about it. For me, it's about connection. It's about community. It's about building networks of, of people to spread the good word. But as far as me being the rock star of the show and all that kind of thing, that's not, that's not where I'm coming from. And it's, it, I mean, even a lot of celebrities, they come to it reluctantly as well. They're are They don't want to have to get out and, and do that thing, but, uh, Sometimes we do the thing because it's aligned with purpose in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. So many examples are just flooding in my head of people that don't want (laughs) to be doing what they're doing. So funny. I apologize.
1: Sometimes it's pushing pushing yourself as well and just getting outside your comfort zone. Because that's part of being Mm -hmm. an entrepreneur, too, is just getting outside your comfort zone and trying those different things and seeing what works and failing forward. Um, mm-hmm. And that, mm-hmm. that's the part I'm fine with. I'm fine with failing forward and looking like an idiot sometimes. I've done yeah. I've done any number of podcasts and public speaking in front of dozens and hundreds of people where I do a terrible job. I, first mm-hmm. of all, don't want to be there. And second of all, I don't have it planned out right and do, don't do a great job. But I'm willing to fail forward to learn those skills and understand the other person as well, understand a visionary person that loves doing that. I can see it. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I have to tell this person, I cannot turn that dinger off. Hello, lady. <laughs> just on an interview, I'll let her know. Uh, some of you might have noticed I disappeared for a little while. And uh, I was on. Stri- I was uh, given a strike by YouTube, just so you know, I didn't just drop off the, the face of the earth, because I'm actually really into getting out and talking to you guys. But uh, it was, uh, it, it, interestingly, it wasn't even something really over what I said. It was a, a picture of truth coming out of the well. I don't know if you're familiar with it, Ian, but it's a classical painting. It is uh, a nude woman, and uh, the, the mythology behind it is that um, a lie and the truth got together, and they went into the well together and because the lie was telling her, a lie about what they were going to uh, find in there. I need to get this story totally straight. But uh, in the mean, in the meantime, so once she was lured into the well, he took her clothes and ran off. So he put the clothes of truth on and uh, made off with them. Uh, so that was quite interesting. Uh, so the, the image is that she's coming up out of the well nude and she's mad as hell. <laughs> <laughs> So that's what I got a strike for. Now, there's people like actually doing porn and stuff on YouTube. So I was kind of mad that they gave me a strike for this classical uh, painting that was, you know, no copyright problem on that. And, and uh, soon, soon noticed. That's good. Somebody noticed I was yeah. gone. All there's... right. Let me just make sure this person knows I'm not available. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> so many dangers. I have tried to turn that dinger off. I tell you, just I don't know. I don't know why. Um, so how do you manage stress in your work? Because I know that having known when when we'll talk more about Stefan Arneo, because we both have this personal connection, but I know, I know working for him wasn't a breeze. He wrote about a lot of different situations in his books as well. Um, you know, he, he wasn't that, he wasn't even that private about how he worked with his employees and the way that he communicated with them. And, you know, you you flip open the Instagram story and there he was taking a piece out of somebody or whatever. Right. And um, not to mention now, like, first of all, your, your job would have been very stressful, like operations. I've been been in that situation, not probably at, at your level, because this was old school marketing, but I've been, you know, managing the whole office and you know, the, the ins and the outs and everything that is uh, coming down the pipe, it has to come through you at some point. How yeah. do you handle all the stress of that?
1: Well, I would say a lot of it has to do with um, what you're actually passionate about and what you're interested in. Because for me, when it's the operational stuff, when it's actually building out the systems and the process I can take on mass amount of information and different, understand how things interconnect and build it out and understand the steps that need to be taken and creating a vision and building into something. I've been doing that for a couple of years now with multiple people. And that's something that excites me. So I love to learn and I love to understand the systems, how things fit together. So that part doesn't stress me out. What Mm -hmm. I find stresses me out is when things don't fit in line with that. So if that's either, uh, Getting too much into sales, getting too much into marketing and managing those people or getting into um, even redundant tasks that can be done by, say, like a virtual assistant. If somebody's supposed to sit there for eight hours and um, input data the whole time, then that's something as well where I feel overwhelmed with having that because I know there's something I'm good at and I'm passionate about. When I'm doing those things, I'm excited to do and move forward. Those other things I look at and I realize I'm getting stressed out about it. So the way that I deal with it is generally I try to pass it off. I try to give it delegated to somebody that's more in tune with that position and can do a better job at it. And that way I'm more in line with what I'm good at and I can do a better job of what I'm good at. But beyond that, I mean, there's always a level of stress and overwhelm with having a lot of things going on. I mean, work isn't the only thing that I have going on in my life. Nobody just has one thing. It's yeah, you got your life. I just got engaged. I'm planning on moving Yay. to a different city. Oh. I know I've got lots of different exciting things going on. I'm trying to do different, like get on new clients and do more business and mm-hmm. manage old clients and business and even visiting family and travel. We can't travel anymore. So, I mean, there's a million things going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a big thing that's really helped me, especially recently is just remembering the priorities that you have in your life. So for mm-hmm. me, and I'm sure a lot of others, it's God, family, then business. And it depends on what your definition of God is. So for me, God is within the Bible. He is the great I am. He is the person that he talks about being the I am. He is always about being one in everything, three in one, in you and without you. And one thing that I learned through practicing some sort of some meditations and studying different religions is that uh, a common practice is to meditate to the words I am. And that's even something people do with affirmations. They say, I am, and they put out the words of what they are. And it's becoming that. And I have a big belief that the I am and being God and God being the number one is saying that me learning about myself and getting connected to myself is me connecting to God. So when I talk about having God, family, then business, it's how do I prioritize myself and doing what I want to do and make sure that I'm learning, that I'm happy, that I'm healthy, that I'm living the life that I want to have and going to the places where I want to go. And then from there, I'm making sure that my family is taken care of and that I'm spending time with them. Because if I lose everything else, if I have my family, if I have a good relationship with myself, then I'm happy. And then beyond that, I have business. And what I found from that as well is that my business follows follows me through that. I don't push my business forward or try to chase down business. I live my life doing the God and the family, and then business ends up following through quite simply. Mm This fits into the passions.
0: Yeah, if you take care of the most important thing, then it takes care of a lot of stuff underneath it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. And it's also very alchemist, by the way, extremely alchemist, because the alchemist is one that will... Find out how to do a great deal with less time, less energy, less effort, less muscling and pushing around. For example, yep. the warrior stage is much more about muscling and building and brick by brick, but uh, the alchemist is like, ning, 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 ning. <laughs> <laughs> so that's beautiful. I really love that. Was there a time when you ever crashed from stress and uh, felt like the? whether it was the rug pulled out from underneath you or things really fell down. Are you open to sharing about that? Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. So I've had a few times where I get a little burned out, um, go through a tough time. I had a really bad one last winter. I was when Stefan, so just a little bit of a timeline. um, When I became CEO was around December. And the reason was that time was because Stefan every year he goes on a water fast so it goes 40 days, just drinking water, no food. Um, so he leaves in December around Christmas. And then he got back in middle of February. And then from there, he was sick. And then he passed away in May. So that whole time was when I was the CEO. And I was starting to take on a lot more of the marketing, the sales, the training, the uh, planning of the business. And the next steps We're trying to buy some commercial real estate and buy a, manage a bunch of renovations and other properties. And January, around the middle of January, it was when Stefan went offline because there was a certain point where he just doesn't have the energy to uh, talk with us anymore and converse every day. Mm-hmm. And I actually had a major crash in the middle of January. I got sick for um, three weeks. I was bedridden for two weeks. And I was, no, I was, not three, I was sick for three months and I got bedridden for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just had a major crash where I was just, it was and stress and things I wasn't good at. And I was trying to do so much. I was trying to do what a visionary man who had been doing it for 10 years and had spent his life building up towards was doing and walking in and just saying, okay, I'll do that. And I tried it and I could see why the guy got sick. I mean, that may not be the only reason why he got sick, but the amount of things he was doing and what I imagine a lot of the other visionaries are doing is they're overwhelming themselves with things that they're trying to accomplish and that stress, they get so used to that stress that they don't realize it's there and it eventually makes them sick and I've mm-hmm. seen other people go through that, they've crashed and that's what a burnout is that's what mm-hmm. hitting the ground and burning out and crashing, whatever you want to call it, it's um, just taking on all that, not realizing you're taking on so much until your body says no, you need to stop mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm
0: well, this is interesting because uh, I'm I'm having the thought out loud and, and realizing it that uh, Stefan actually really was the inspiration for this entire series. Because before that, I'll say a little bit about it, that uh, for 15 years, I worked with women. I marketed exclusively to women. I worked with a few men here and there, but uh, for the most part, I saw myself as a women's coach. I thought that was where my gifts were. That's that's what what my purpose was. It's not that I was wrong. It's just that that was that that time. And I was able to really find the roots of that desire to work only for women in the feminist movement, in that zeitgeist that's turned men and women against each other. And so coming to that point of self-honesty, it was almost to the minute when Stefan walked in my door the year before what you're talking about, and he was about to embark on his, I believe it was his second water fast. He'd done one the year before. That was, there was three in total, right?
1: I believe there was four.
0: Four? Okay. So maybe I, I was the third, the third year that he had done that, or I don't
1: know anymore. Maybe yeah, it, was, it was the first time he did the 40 day water fast though.
0: Okay. Yeah. It was a 40 day. He was in Costa Rica and it was, um, I was up at night as I often am. And I saw an email come through. It was from Stefan he said, I'm sick with cancer. Two people told me, you can help me. We got on the phone the next day and uh, he hired me just like like you put your 30 grand down. He didn't pay all the uh, $30,000. <laughs> I should have charged him 30. <laughs> but uh, we got to work every single day for one month and he had some enormous breakthroughs. He came out the other side and emailed me, said, Beth, you saved my life. And now we can see down the line that uh, it didn't work. And I'll say this so arrogant that he should have kept working with me.
1: <laughs> well, I will say I appreciate the work that you did do with him. I did notice a difference with him over the past um, the last year, year and a half of me working with him. He really took took into he, he learned about himself and became his true nature. And that was partly from talking with people like yourself and probably coaching with you in particular And partly with the creating the operations and freeing him from being another employee. Uh, But I saw his true excitement, his true passions come out and what he was doing was no longer about, oh, I'm building a company, I'm doing work and I'm doing my daily tasks and making sure things are running. He was given the opportunity. I'm sure you saw him over the last year and he's wearing all these big furs and he's got all his crazy boots on, all his jewelry and his hat. Like the guy, he just took full force his, uh, he wanted to be a rock star that was always his vision. Mm-hmm. He always wanted to be a rock star and he became a rock star because he was free to do that. And I, I do see there could have been some more work done. Um, and he could have been more freed up and, um, not been so hard on himself or forced him to work, force himself to work so much. Uh, imagine places we could bid, but, uh, that's all hindsight at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do appreciate mm-hmm. the work that you did do with him the time he was around.
0: Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. It's interesting because I I actually did a King Hero's Journey interview with him, and the ethers have uh, have eaten that. Like it's that data is gone. I had a crash. Yeah, I had a crash on my computer, but everything was recovered. I cannot find that interview, so I, I'm I haven't given up yet. I'm going to take a, a drive over to a, a tech guy and just see what he can, they can get, um, you know, magic stuff off of uh, (laughs) that I don't know how to do. But uh, yeah, it was, it was a really exceptional time. And for me personally, it, it influenced me greatly because I was able to reach someone like Stefan. And there was a moment where I wanted to say something very direct to him that I saw, and I'm not going to share anything about it for, for his privacy and his family's privacy, but uh, I, I often won't just like blurt out the thing that I see. But I knew Stefan had been given a death sentence already. He was yeah. told he was not going to survive this. And I thought, like, what to lose? If he fires me, I would rather take the risk. And, <laughs> uh, and so I blurted out what I saw. And you could see this, like, mm, he was grinding on it. And then it was like, okay. And I didn't know if he was going to come back the next day, but the next day he came back, and he and I didn't need to be right. But he just said, "Beth, I totally I see it now. I I see what I didn't see," and uh, that gave him a lot of energy. And it was it was that experience that let me realize or brought me to the realization that I can help men. I have done enough work healing my own inner relationship, like first with my dad, and the men in my life, and all the graveyard of relationships that I've I've had. Uh, but most of all, within myself, that that masculine and the and the feminine, I needed to make peace with that masculine, and uh, and I really did. And 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 Stefan coming into my life was the proof of it. Then, really interesting at that moment, after after we worked together, he said, "Beth, I need to talk to you. I have a gift for you." It never arrived. I just want you to know, I never got I never got the present. <laughs> but uh, at, at, he also at that moment said. Uh, now most people. This is how he opened it. He said, "Most people won't make use of this. Most people that that are offered something for nothing won't make good on it." Um, but he said, "I would like to offer you a year of mentorship." At the time, it was a sixty thousand dollar value in in coaching what he yep. what he was putting out, and uh, I was floored and I was humbled, and I almost immediately said yes because I had been praying. For some kind of change to happen in my life, I was in the comfort zone. i was I was stuck in the comfort zone, you know, it's not it's not even comfortable in that stuck kind of comfort zone. yeah, uh, he, he came into my life, he kicked my butt. he got me into a he got me to move from that what I call the hedonist phase of the the hero's journey into the king. At the time, I was feminizing it, but it's like, no, it's it's masculine, it's king all the way. He inspired me to write and publish my book. I doubt I would have done it if I didn't have someone like him in my zone at that point. So I just wanted yeah. to make sure that everybody knows how instrumental that was for me. Um, you know, and he was the quintessential king that crashed. He had everything going for him. He had all the money in the world. He had this like amazing body of skills. He had the ability to get out and, uh, and guide people and, And if you're not familiar with his book, Hard Times Create Strong Men, he had a very uh, powerful motivation inside himself to mentor young men such as yourself. Do you want to talk a little bit about that?
1: Yes, absolutely. I was just thinking of um, one experience that I had with him that was just completely out of the blue, but kind of funny. I went out for a dinner with him one time, went to a place called San Lucia Pizza, and we, we had a lot of dinners together. Before he got really sick, we he would take me out for lunches, for dinners. We'd hang out all the time. We were we were best friends at the time. He didn't have a lot of people around him, so I was that guy that spent a lot of time with him. And I remember one night, um, he was rambling on his phone, always on his phone, texting random people. And he asked me, he's like, um, I got three single moms that are at a bar waiting for us. You want to come with? I'm like, no, I don't want to go hang out with a bunch of single moms. Uh, I'm thinking to myself, like, he's... Trying to play a game and wants to go see some women. whatever's going on, um, so I went home and I talked to him the next day. He's like, "Yeah, I went over there. I sold them all copy hard times, and <laughs> then left, and then that left." Was- oh
0: man, <laughs> he did not like single moms. I'm amazed he wouldn't even talk to me because I'm a single mother.
1: Uh, yeah, I thought that was funny. What was your question again?
0: Uh, it, just about the um, the mentorship, like because his interest in in helping young men become kings, to become yep. strong and responsible.
1: Yeah, there is a lot to unpack within his mentorship. And the one thing that I really appreciated with what he was always doing and way he was speaking is it didn't change for who he was talking to. He didn't talk a certain way to certain people. He didn't necessarily focus on young men to help grow them and help them build their vision. He saw a need there, and so he wrote hard times because he worked with people that needed it, and he saw that that vision could help other people around the world, um, but the, the vision and the, the way he talked never changed for anybody. He was always very direct, very to the point, um, very factual. He was a very intelligent man of understanding different concepts and how things run and interconnect with each other, um, and how people's lives have been affected by their childhood. That was his biggest thing. He always knew that, especially with the hard time series, he talked about was your life is changed and influenced greatly. Number one by the way you're raised, and secondly, more specifically, on your father figure. If uh, boys don't have a good father figure, then they become what a lot of people call snowflakes. They don't have somebody there to guide them and teach them to be a man and teach them to be hard. You talk, you listen to someone like Dan Pena. You know who Dan Pena is, right? I don't actually. So Dan Penyon is a he's a he's a self-proclaimed trillionaire. Mm -hmm. And um, he does a lot of he's in his 80s, I believe, 80s, 90s. And he does a lot of public speaking. And he's a very, very hard man just saying pretty much everyone in today's generation is a snowflake. And really saying that you got to beat your kids to make them into men and build them to be men. And whether or not you believe and want to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but Stefan's whole I think was that fathers and the way your father brings you up and even for daughters, the way your father, if you have a—if you don't have a strong father figure, he would always believe that those women were who became the whores in our society. Like that is something he would say. He'd say mm-hmm. that if you do not, as a, as a female, if you do not have a strong father figure, you do not have a good understanding of a strong relationship with a man. You do not know how to control that relationship and be in a relationship, not be taken advantage of and stand strong to yourself. And mm-hmm. the same thing for guys. If you do not have the strong father figure, you do not know how to work. You don't know how to do, uh, to take control of your own life. And that's not to say everyone's like that, but the mass amount of people, the majority of people, uh, if you do not have that strong parental influence in your life, um, then it's definitely a tough place to be in. And, and the sad thing is, and he was seeing it is that, that's a lot of the direction we're going to with our society these days. It's um, parents together. That's a rare sight. Like how many people do you know where their parents are together versus not together? I know. And I know. like, that's always a question. Like um, anytime I've dated somebody in my life, my parents are like, okay, well first question, are their parents together? Cause they know and they've seen it that if the parents of the other couple is not together, the likelihood of those, you two not working out is exponentially higher because it's in higher. one person's life, the one person's life, their understanding of a solid family is where the mother and father separate and are no longer together, and that's what they expected of their life. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm, exactly, and there's been you know a massive efforts and campaigns to break that family up, starting with the feminist movement that pits men and women against each other, and uh, you know now we're seeing we're starting to see some extreme um things I mean, was it uh in New Zealand now they are they have instated stated that it, they have the right to remove a child from a home uh for, take take them through school uh not tell the parents where they are and treat them against the parents' will right like that's that's well, kind shit. of where it's got to
1: yeah that's uh pretty intense. I haven't heard about that one.
0: Yeah and that's based on four people having been diagnosed with covid in in New Zealand that, that's what so They're
1: taking their kids away because of covid because they're sick? Yeah. or diagnosed
0: because they, they decide exactly because they've decided yeah it's uh, this is coming for a long time I I wanted nothing more than to take my kid out of school now finally we have an excuse the dad thinks it's cuz it's a, a boogeyman virus and uh I, th- I think it's because I just don't want my kid to be in that institution and owned by it.
1: Yeah, and that, that's gonna... the thing with the schools too. Like, what, what's the end result for schools these days? What's the whole purpose? And it's really just to make employees, just to make factory workers that just believe in everything they're told. Like the biggest, the biggest movement of people that are trying to change the world right now are, um, from what I can see, university people, university students, and people going through school or have gone through school all their life. And they're not self educated. They never learn um, beyond what they already have to. And they just believe the media, what the media tells them, because they believe that that person did their research, they educate themselves and they know what they're talking about. So they must be right.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, Eric was just saying, you're so correct. It's not even funny if you don't have a male or female parent at the house that are uh, teaching you. It's, a, it's an uphill battle. Exactly. Exactly. So we're, and that's, it, Interestingly, a lot of the women in my world are king heroes, and that's mm-hmm. what I had to find out about myself. It, you know, I was trying to really feminize this role that I found myself in, and it's not feminine at all. It is, it is definitely masculine, but you know, there's ways to work with that because we live in this unnatural world and the society. Uh, it wasn't until I stopped fighting my own masculine role in life that I could come to peace with it, and in in fact, I think, and from feedback I've got, I I, I reclaimed a lot of my femininity in the process.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can I can speak to that as well. Um, I've had to go through an interesting experience on the the male side of that as well, because one thing I've noticed with guys a lot is everybody wants to be like it's going off the disc personality. Uh, which is dominance, um, which is direct people. And then the I is um, somebody that likes to be seen and very visual person. You got the S person, which is more helping in the background, you know, being a caring person. The C type is the more data centric and process driven person. Um, <clears throat> all the guys that I know, I mean, I work a lot in sales, so it does go towards this anyways, but most of the guys I know, they've push towards the D type personality. If they're an S type, which is more of the, you know, I'm a soft feely kind of person want to help people, they don't like the idea of being that they're saying, I need to be a D I need to be that person. I need to be direct. Cause that's being a man that's being that person. And mm-hmm. one thing I've had to get over is that ego and that, um, belief about that, because that's what I'm taught as well. That's what people are taught as well. You see it in the movies, every man is a big, macho, strong, buff man that shoots guns and takes women's for a ride on their motorcycle. Like, that's awesome and all, but that's not, that's not everyone. And mm-hmm. I've had to come to terms with that, and I've always forced a little bit of that personality on myself. Um, but realizing that as a very C-type person, very process-driven, even a lot of uh, helping and caring for others, the S-type, um, I've um, learned to... Harness the other side of it too, because one of the best ways for me to get more on path and with myself and get more in tune with myself is to take the more artistic side, the more I type, yes type, and really take care of people and understand that role and become the opposite of what people consider to be a strong man and just care for somebody, care for something, get more in tune with myself, with getting to more nature, whatever's going on. And I don't need to go on some huge spiritual journey. But if I take a moment and just enjoy the art of the world, because I'm very data driven, taking the opposite with the art side, it releases me and allows me to become more direct and become more of myself and become more of that strong masculine figure.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Amazing. That's such great work. It's So the keys to the kingdom is to sort out the masculine and the feminine. It's not yep. just in your world that you have to do that. It is it, inside your own heart and soul because that's the magic element, right? That is the, that is the birth. Before there is the beginning of the journey, you, you have the masculine and the feminine. When they come together as one, they birth the child, which is the, the beginning of the hero's journey. That's how it yep. happens. And that's, that again is the work of the alchemist too, to marry what seem to be opposites, because we, I think we've been brainwashed with the, the the word and the idea of opposites, because that means they oppose one another. Yep. Ask anybody what the opposite of man is, they're going to say woman. Ask them the opposite of feminine, they're going to say masculine. We have this as a, as a concept wired into our brains, but it's not the reality of it, right? It's like no mm-hmm. perfect complement fit together perfectly, when they come together, the whole is always so much greater than the sum of the parts. It's not just one plus one, and now you have two. You have th- you actually have a three. There's something yep. new going on there. Yeah, so good. So we naturally have been talking about that masculine and feminine. What do you see about, like right now in this day and age, What first of all, what, what do you think of what's going on out there? You're in very good company. Nobody here believes there's a, <laughs> a virus going on. Um, What do you, what do you make of it? How, how have you navigated?
1: What I've seen with everything, um, I'd say the largest thing I see is that we celebrate mediocrity now. So Mm. instead of celebrating becoming your true passionate self and being really fricking good at it and just taking it to an extent at any level and just believing in yourself and taking who you are and going with it, um, and celebrating that success and sitting down with people and celebrating those achievements that they have, what we do is we frown down upon it and we look for the most mediocre person right now and celebrate that instead. That's um, being overweight is okay. That's what we're, that's actually celebrated now. And if you lose weight, people look down upon you and being successful in business, they want to steal that away from successful people and take their money and say, you are, you um, you're worthless, you're shaming us, you're, i even seen it here in Winnipeg, it'll go down Wellington Crescent, where they have the nicest, most beautiful homes, they have a big path down the middle of the road with a big, with grass, and trees, and families, and dogs, walk with our dogs out there, and that's a really popular path, they even block off the road for people to walk up and down, and I've seen people grab chalk, and walk, and right in front of these massive mansions, just saying shame, and like, defund the police and kill the rich and stuff like that. And uh, didn't know. it's just, it's shaming successful people. Mm-hmm. And the whole movement that we have going on right now is to make mediocrity the most important, like the thing that we're accomplishing. And that fits in line with uh, the masculine and feminine because becoming truly feminine or truly masculine, really harnessing that is it takes work. You don't just walk in, you have that. You walk in, if you don't do anything, you're going to be right in the middle there. You're not going to be a strong, masculine figure. You're not going to be a very feminine figure. Quite frankly, you're going to be sitting on your fat ass, watching TV, eating chips, doing nothing all day, making no money and not working, accomplishing anything that you want in your life. And Mm -hmm. then you're believing the news that you're watching, that COVID, and COVID is giving people a reason to do this. You see on TV, you're going to die if you go outside right now. That's pretty much, you, you see people driving around with a mask, when they're only person in the vehicle because they have that idea that if that they're going to die for that's they have all those fears beyond it and it's celebrating mediocrity because what do you do if you can't go outside you sit inside all day what do you do if you sit inside all day and you you just don't work out you don't work out you eat unhealthy you do all these things and now you get upset with other people who aren't living like that because they're happier they're healthier they're stronger they're better off than you And for whatever reason, that's not okay. And for whatever reason, you should all live the same life and nobody should have more uh, opportunity than you, more money than you. And they look way past all the work and effort that it takes and look directly at, you know, what are the results? That person worked for 10 years, 10,000 hours, put in the time, the money, the effort, energy, spent hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars, put their life on the line several times and everything they built. And they put it all on the line and you don't see that. All you see is they're a multimillionaire and you're saying, okay, well, I've been standing around all day. I'm alive too. Let's cancel rent because their mortgage is paid off. And how about they pay for my food and we steal all the stuff that we want because they stole from us somehow.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. It's a kind of Robin Hood, strange Robin Hood situation where <clears throat> I didn't know that was happening in Winnipeg. I'm, I'm really sad to hear that that uh, people were getting attacked like that. Uh, I was born and raised by entrepreneurs and they never were on the dole, right? They never got unemployment insurance. I'm not blaming anybody that that needed to turn to that to support their family. But I just didn't have that example in my life that, uh, yeah. you know, when things got hard, my dad dug in and created a new life. You know, he couldn't handle working for other people because it was uh, – demoralizing for one reason or another and he could not exercise leadership the, that he had and i saw them do some pretty major ups and downs over the years and there was they went through recessions and they went through my dad's cancer he was diagnosed like more than 20 times with cancer as you know now from reading my book um you know it was his life was as as uh, by the title of, of stefan's book it was absolutely self-made he yep. he made his life. And then he lived a nice life. My parents lived a nice life. My mom also was very hardworking in our business, in their business. And uh, so they... They had a property in florida and they had a property in the country and they took major trips and cruises and they would always treat themselves and and be have a kind of luxurious life and and the pleasures of life and the, you know the a garden that wasn't full of food it was full of flowers for the pleasure of life right Uh, And and so that was my example that, oh, okay if you put the work and the time in and you're intelligent about how you do that, because it's not just work and time, that's not enough (laughs) has to be smart work and time, then then you can be free. That was my example of sovereignty. And uh, and that's why they were practically, you know, I had two and a half jobs. One was with them because I got to be the the, I didn't get to be this right away. I had to earn the title of vice president. And I was given power, I was given responsibility, and I was also given freedom. You know, my, my dad, it was I, I really saw Stefan and my dad, how how he was, Stefan was willing to really empower you. Like, look at the skills that he allowed you to, uh, and you were talking earlier about all of those promotions, boom, 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 you moved right up because you were willing and he was smart enough to share his power.
1: yeah. yeah. Yeah, and to build on the, the one comment you had on there was um, working smart and not just working um, part of that too is really just cause not everybody can be an entrepreneur. I don't believe that every person in this world is made out to be that entrepreneur that goes out and builds this crazy business. Mm-hmm. We need those people. We need those other people to work in factories. We need those people to work as I'm going to use my cousin, for example, of hauling dirt. He he hauls a lot of dirt around um, in Ontario and maybe not the most passionate thing to do, but he enjoys it. He works on the machinery. He moves stuff around. Uh, one day he's talking about maybe starting up his own business and getting his own dump truck. But the one thing I really appreciate about him that I haven't seen in anybody else is the work ethic. I, I were, grew up with my this cousin. I spent my entire life with him. He was like a brother to me. I worked on him with the on the farm. We worked several years together. I believe he still works there part-time, just on weekends and stuff like that. And the one thing that he has that I have hardly ever seen is just that pride in his own work. And just no matter what he's doing, he's going to do it to the best of his ability. Sometimes the best of his ability isn't that great. And that's just not his job. He should not be doing that job. But when he finds something he's good at, he does it full force. He takes passion in it and he even brags about it. He brags about moving dirt around. I mean, I know multi-million dollar entrepreneurs that do run multiple businesses and they're not as passionate as about, about their job as he is. So that's something I really respect about him. And I think that's something that we really lack in today's society too, especially in the younger generation is just taking your work. Going to work, doing your job, taking pride in it, doing a really freaking good job at it, and just saying to the world like, "This is who I am. This is what I can do." And if you suck at it, then by all means, that's not the right thing for you. You got to find something different. But at least try your best and really work towards it and see if you can get something out of it. And then if it doesn't work, find something else. Find what you're truly passionate about. It make some money somewhere else. Exactly,
0: like you said, fail forward. I also like fail fast, because if you delay trying out whether you like moving dirt and that sounds so very romantic to me right now in a day where growing <laughs> your own food is going to become like a, you know, the, the most wanted skill ever. Yeah. Uh, that sounds sexy to me, but, but the faster you get out and discover like, yeah, this isn't my thing or, and it's, and it's often the things you, you you do the things and then you know more about yourself because that's not you. And then you do yep. something else that's not you. And then you know that about yourself can be a process of uh, like a sculpture that it, the artist is just removing all of the wood that's not the sculpture. So it's 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 always a process of of releasing, or often a process of releasing rather than adding something that's not you. Totally. You're already there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I'm. I I also like wouldn't mind speaking to this. Not everyone is an entrepreneur. The one thing I think everyone must do by by nature of purpose. Is to discover the value of their purpose. Yeah, because this one we don't get out of. Uh, I saw this from what I thought was my deathbed that we all came here with a purpose, and it is intimately tied with your people who you are meant to serve at whatever scale could be could be small and modest, <clears throat> such as the example what you've been talking about, and it could be the empire that Stephen Arneo, uh, the late Stephen Arneo built and everything in between so you know and it can be very family centered it can be something but you're going to be called to leadership even when you get a bunch of young kids together the older ones naturally guide the younger ones there's there's yep. just something beautiful that happens there you don't have to tell them to do that they fall into oh I know more than you and I'm I have this pride in it because I, I got this skill and uh, then I'm going to uh, pass this along because that makes me yep. feel good. Right. My, my kid would come to my yoga classes in the days when I was teaching yoga and he didn't want to do yoga. He, he got up front to teach with me, <laughs> right? Like it was just instant- it. instantaneous. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So, so I, I feel, and I've been saying this for 10 years already, everybody must know the value of their purpose. How are you going to contribute and give to society so that you're in that natural position to receive? And then, and then it's, it is, It is merit-based what you're willing to do because we all came with gifts, but if you don't cultivate them, like you said, you don't put in your 10,000 hours, then you're going to have to do that. You're never going to get out of doing that work, whether it's this lifetime or next lifetime. So it's time to stand up for for the value of of who you are and what you uniquely can bring to humanity.
1: It's bringing it back to... Um, your priority is this going God, family, then business. So prioritizing yourself and your connection with your purpose and who you are and your true vision and what you can provide to the world and really attuning yourself with that. doesn't happen overnight. You spend years, your entire life pretty much, uh, mm-hmm. actually accomplishing that and finding that. <clears throat> and then beyond that, it's taking care of your family through that. And your family doesn't have to be your blood relatives. It can be the people you spend the most time with. Um, I got a group of guys here that I live with and together they are my family. They're the people that I've spent the past two years of my life living with every single day and conversing with every single day. And then I have my in-laws, and then I have my actual family, and then I'm sure I'll create more family places I go, but it's taking our knowledge and helping your family and helping your vision provide for them, and then it's using your business uh, that follows through with that.
0: Mm -hmm, Exactly, because (laughs) if everyone took care of their people, everyone would be taken care of.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and uh I think another thing that people get lost in is starting with uh, starting from the back end going forward, they spend their time doing work on their business and they're talking about making money and they're looking to make their passion, find their passion through their business. And they say, I'm doing this because such and such, but it's really just focusing on their business. And in their spare time, they go home at the end of the day, they spend their time with their family, and that's awesome, but then they go to bed and they never focus on self. And so their passion, true passion, never comes through, and their true purpose never comes through.
0: Beautifully said, Ian. That's that's amazing. So good. What message would you give to, I'll say, young king heroes like yourself? Because (laughs) there's a lot of them. Actually, I I meet a whole bunch of them, and and they're coming up pretty woke, if I can use that word with real meaning. They're, they're seeing, they've grown up in the days that uh, they haven't had their information restricted until more recently, now we're, we're highly censored. But, uh, so they knew things that, you know, the younger or the earlier generations didn't. What advice would yeah. you have for them?
1: Well, the biggest failing point I see with younger generation, people around my age or younger, I've worked with people that are <laughs> several years younger than me as well, looking to get into business to real estate, to do whatever. And the biggest issues I see with them are, number one, their ego. And ego and money are like the the biggest things. They think they deserve a lot. And I don't blame them. I mean, they've generally been in business for, or been trying to get their life together for six months or a year or five years. And to someone like me, five years is a long time. But somebody that's 50, 60, seven years old, like five years is like a couple seconds. So for a younger generation, they, it's hard to have the patience to um, let go of, you don't have to be the top guy. You don't have to be the visionary person. You need What you need to do is do your work and do it well. And that will turn into people giving you the opportunities. They will see there's so few people out there that actually do that work and do it well and have passion in it that if you do, You are almost guaranteed to be given the raise, given the next opportunity. And if your boss doesn't give it to you, the next boss will. And there's always going to be those opportunities for the people that are actually willing to work for it. Um, The next big mistake I see younger generations do is doing it for the money. I've seen uh, younger guys screw over their business partners and um, do weird shady things just because they know they'll make quick money. Or they can expand their business and go to the next level with their business, not realizing the opportunity that lies in having a faithful relationship with somebody. It's the same thing with uh, business relationships are the same as your marriage. And I can't attest to either of those because I haven't had a lot of business relationships and I'm not married. But from what I've seen and learned off of people that are older than me and that have been in that experience, is that your business partners and the people you work with and the person that you marry. If you're faithful to them, you're, you'll have a long and prosperous life and you'll enjoy your life. You'll have a happy life. But if you start screwing them up and you start saying, I'm going to go out and sleep with a different woman tonight because I know I'll, I'm not getting sex tonight. So I'm going to go with somebody else. And you're going to set yourself up for a lifetime of failure and despair because you cheated and you wronged your partner. And whether that's in business and you decide to cheat them and you know cut them off on something or steal their money or steal their business. In the long run, that'll screw you up because you just lost infinite amount of opportunity that could have grown with that person and your name is getting spread out across the people that you know. That's something you do and they don't trust you anymore. So just looking ahead and seeing that um, you will make money, just don't force upon it and screw people over to try and achieve that. And a lot of that comes down to the ethics Mm -hmm. and the actual ethics. That's another failing point I see is people having... They will do things because they want to get to the next level again, make some money. They want to do the next big thing. They want to be a show dog. They want to to be the coolest cat around. Um, But they don't have the ethics behind them. They don't do it for the right reason. They're not willing to make the sacrifice of doing the right thing for the right person at the right time um, to make the right thing happen. Instead, they're just looking to make a quick buck. I see that a lot in sales. That's the biggest thing to deal with in sales is making sure that people don't get on the phone and force something down somebody's throat um to make some money because if you do that that person's gonna want a refund and they're never gonna buy with us again yeah and they're gonna screw people over you're gonna go to court because of it you can have all these issues because of it and it's just having the wrong intentions it's gonna screw you up Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: exactly yeah i learned that uh, early on in my earlier on in my career, I I didn't want to do sales at all. I like I I was just praying for the day. I didn't have to do sales in my business. And then I I I grew myself up to a place is like, okay, I will be at peace with this. And I actually learned to really enjoy it because it is a very strong connection with that person. Yeah. It's very intimate conversation. They always tell me things about their life that really matter to them. There's often tears. There's some kind of a breakthrough will happen. And, uh, and, and I got very good at, at sales and, and, and it, it was, I, I had to, I actually had to pull back because I can, I can, you know, I don't know why I'm so magnetic and charismatic and beautiful or something like that, but people would, <laughs> people would, would buy with me, but it's like you said, if it wasn't actually right for them, then I would regret it because they, they would, it, something would go sideways with it. So now I'm, uh, much more, in a, in a position of uh, of just seeing, like, are they truly the right person? Are they going to make good on this? I got on the phone with somebody this morning, and I knew, as soon as I heard their voice, I could tell who they were. That I've I've really started to tune in that the voice will tell me where where they're at, and uh, so that's helped me a lot in that arena. Awesome, yeah, very cool. Yeah, it's so beautiful to to talk to you. It's also very beautiful to talk about Stefan Arneo. If you guys are not familiar. With his work, then that hard times create strong men is a beautiful place to begin. I know that uh, the other book he gave it to me just before he passed away. The one that he is it the oracle. How do you say it? The oracle. The title. Um,
1: the oracle, the queen, the princess, and the whore.
0: There you go. There you go. Yeah, and uh, I've been I've been savoring just a little bit of it at a time. To read that, he was supposed to get my book. And then in that uh, second last meeting that we had, we sat for five hours in Stella's and it. talked. We, we went for breakfast and the breakfast never ended. It was the the beginning of the pandemic. So we had the entire restaurant to ourselves. I think there was one other uh, <laughs> family in there. And we just kept sitting and kept talking and kept talking. Uh, I knew he was not long for the world. At that time, I could see the wear on his health and where he was at, yep. so Phil very grateful to have connected with him and, and as a result, connected with you, to, uh, to Ian. So thank you so much for joining me for this interview.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. It's been fun.
0: Do you want to say to end a little bit about your, what you're, you have in front of you, how people reach you, how you've, uh, taken this to a, a new level in your own life?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So if anybody's looking out to reach out to me, you can search up my name. I believe it's on the bottom there. Strutker is the last name, S-T-R-E-U-T-K-E-R. You can find me on Instagram or Facebook or, yeah, searching up uh, Black Card on YouTube or anything like that. You can find us through there. Um, I don't know a lot of Ian Struckers out there. I don't know a whole lot of Struckers either, so just searching up my name, I'm going to pop up right at the top. And you to reach out to me about operational things. That's something I'm getting passionate about and really finding my true vision, my true purpose on this world. And what I'm doing is I'm finding people that have that vision. I'm trying to connect with those people that are very visionary and very, just want to accomplish a lot. And they know, know these ideas, not just have these ideas, not just sitting in their room and thinking, oh, this would be great to accomplish. And I have all these great ideas, not an artist that's sitting there painting a couple of pictures. I'm looking for, People that are building something and they have all these plans that they want to accomplish, all these things they want to do, but they may just be stuck at this point because the biggest thing I see is that the the visionary people like that, they have a hard time keeping staff because of their vision is so strong and pushed so hard on the people that if it's not harnessed and directed, it becomes an attack. People feel attacked through it. And often employees don't stick around. I started working with a company out in Ontario and it was the same thing. As soon as I joined on, um, the week before people had quit. And when I joined on, uh, we had two employees, three employees. And I've been working with them for almost two months. And right now we have an additional three more people that have joined. We're training right now and we're trying to hire on like another five, 10 people right now before the end of the year because we've built the systems in order to make his vision. And the reason I like this man, I really appreciate him similar to Stefan's because he's a visionary man. He has all these plans and ideas and the hardest thing he has to deal with is the fact that his vision isn't written down and put into practice and it isn't being taken action on. There's not enough people, not enough process for it to become a reality. And that's what bothers him most in this world is that he can do the work and he has done the work and he will do the work. Um, he'll work every single day if he has to. But the fact that his vision is so strong and it has needs something behind it, which is the system, the process, someone like myself to walk in there and build it for them and help them grow it and make their vision into reality. And that was what I really enjoyed about working with Stefan because he always had the next thing we were working on doing the next thing with real estate. He was talking about buying a, a lakefront property and starting up a, a book training program. So people like yourself, Beth, if you want to write a book, he has you come out for a whole week and trains you. Within seven days, you want to have somebody with people with a fully written book ready to publish.
0: Mm. Wow. Yeah, he was the master of that, eh?
1: He was a master at that. And it was visions like that where I'm like, I don't know how to do that, but we're going to figure it out. And we had a lot of fun with stuff like that. So those are the people I really appreciate working with because I can understand who they are, where they're coming from, where they're going to. And I love working I just love working with passionate people that are believe in what they do and what they're doing.
0: Amazing. I love that. So good. Uh, hey, uh, Zero Infinity, thanks for your help. Maybe I can contact you about finding that file. He's saying that he might be able to help me recover that. So There you go. Awesome. Yeah, I know. I know. So good. Thank you, everyone who's joined in the... Um, do you have a, a YouTube channel, by the way, Ian? Maybe not
1: yet. I have. A few YouTube channel, a few YouTube videos mm-hmm. on some real estate mm-hmm. I did, but nothing along this lines at all. So I would say mm-hmm. no. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, somebody was
0: asking. So um, for those of you that might be interested in turning your passion into a business or discovering what your purpose is here in the first place, maybe you look out and you see things are going sideways and you know that you have the energy to do something, you want then the will to do something, but you don't really know what your place is because it's very easy to fight in every direction and have no good effect at all. I'm very aware of that. I nearly died of that myself, by the way, I'm going to be doing a stream, uh, one tomorrow, very special with, uh, George, I believe his name, last name is spelled yet or or pronounced yet gothic. And he is one of the very few rare individuals who has gone through uh, a meth addiction, come out the other side but been left with voices or demons or whatever uh, somebody would call them. He calls them voices. Those people almost never want to report on any of that. They are hidden in shame. He's not hidden in shame. He has a great deal to offer. He's a king hero. So I'm going to be interviewing him tomorrow at 1 p.m. in the afternoon. So please stay tuned for that. I'm back in full swing here. Uh, The second thing is that uh, I will be telling my story. Many of you have asked uh, if you haven't read my book, that's a good place to start, Journey, A Map of Archetypes to Find Lost Purpose in a Sea of Meaninglessness. I weave my story throughout this entire book. So every uh, one of the eight um, heroes journey archetypes are talking about my journey through those archetypes, what I went through trying to survive cancer, how I nearly died off the back of somebody's motorcycle as a teenager, how I stole cars and well, one, just one car, uh, ran away all kinds of shenanigans you'll 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 see all the dirt on me but i'm also going to be doing a video about my story how i survived cancer i've heard a few people asking specifically for that oh somebody posted your uh, your youtube channel where you've got some subscribers already so that's nice zero infinity thank you for doing that so definitely click on that link and subscribe so we might be seeing more of that from ian in the future i think that
1: might be i think that might be an old youtube channel I'm, i saw the name on there mr dubstep duck I think that was one I okay. made when I was like, sometime when I was a teenager. But there's another one. If you search up Ian Strucker in there, you could probably find one where it's just my name, Ian Strucker, where I have more real estate stuff. But I'll look into that one. Maybe that's what my name is on there. If you want to talk to Ian and you're having any
0: kind of a hard time finding him, just knock on my door. I'm, I'm super, yes. super happy to introduce you guys as well. You can also visit my website and find out where you are on the hero's journey. So you know it's important to know who you are, but it's actually way more important to know where you are. As soon as you locate yourself, you are no longer lost. And that's a big thing because we have a lot of lost people. Like you said, they're in their houses. They're, they're, they're uh, feeling like they're on vacation terminally. And uh, that's not where we need to be. It's actually go time. It's action time. It's time to build a new world for ourselves as the, the Babylon that we know is falling apart. So I hope you're inspired by this interview. Once again, Ian, thank you for joining me. It's been a complete pleasure. I knew it would be. Mm. All right, everybody. Love you guys lots. I, I will see you tomorrow, one o'clock. Same bad channel, same bad time. And bye for now.